Oh, hi there. I'm Tyler Sean Bean from Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, and I also played Sock on TV's Reaper. You are watching the Dead TV Podcast. Keep it up. I dare ya. TV podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled TV series in the science fiction, fantasy, horror, and sometimes comedy horror genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And the reason I say that is if you're tuning into this uh, show for the first time ever, this is actually the 150th episode of the podcast. Woo! iTunes already lists the 150th episode. However, the reason why the previous episode is listed as 150 is because we have an introductory promo thing, which I plan on actually probably taking down because it's kind of out of date because everything on it we've actually covered before. <laughs> so Yeah. We have a couple of small shows that we're not announcing until season two. Anyway, <laughs> Reaper, which is still loads of fun almost every episode, we have some opinions about tonight's episode called Rebellion. Rebellion, Season 1, Episode 14, originally aired April 22nd, 2008. A pair of demons attempt to make a deal with Sam to lure the devil into a trap, and Sock becomes jealous when someone else asks Josie out on a date. Yeah! Very interesting how that all plays out with everyone's relationships. Everyone has a relationship coming up! <laughs> uh, for better or for worse, and it's a lot worse for some people. There is just a lot going on in this episode. Oh my god, just storyline and character development and maybe not even character development, I don't know. We open the episode with Sam basically gaslighting Andy from what she saw in the Acid Queen episode. Yeah! Okay, so explain what gaslighting is to the audience. Gaslighting, it's the process of convincing someone that what they saw or what they heard with their own eyes is false, and that the narrative that you're giving them is the true and only correct narrative. And why does this happen to women more often than men? Because of the patriarchy! <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Women being saying, like, oh, well, you just saw fandom. That, that, that's not real. Oh, things happen. You had a head concussion. You know, you can see pink elephants and aliens and, you know, all of this stuff, which we know is absolutely untrue. She did see the Acid Queen. She did see the soul getting captured. She did see all of that. And a janitor dressed in a doctor's costume is giving her Tic Tacs to heal her brain and then convince her that what she saw wasn't actually real. Because the and this, truth works so well in the next episode, which we will get to. <laughs> yeah, it was very disappointing to see Sam actually do this to Andy. Someone that he proposes to love, tell her that she's crazy. You know, that what she saw and experienced did not happen, and that her own perspective can't be trusted. And that's what gaslighting is about. It is not cool at any time to anyone. 
I think this trying to convince your loved one that what they saw wasn't quite what they think they saw, but in a way that they are doing it innocently to protect them, rates right up there with the ah-ha-ha-ha jokes and peeping toms and seeing girls' boobies and naked through a people has kind of gone away in the comedy form. It's just not funny anymore. Right. Now, when it comes to superheroes doing this, I think I still got to back up and behind it and all because they're trying to protect their secret identity from their loved ones because the whole trope of like that if the villain finds out that you have somebody you care about, they will use them against you. So in context, as with comedy, I think it's okay, but not quite the way they did it to Andy. It's always distasteful. It doesn't matter who does it. Even if it's a superhero, it's still bad. The doctor, the janitor pretending to be the doctor, John Bowes, I think is his name, uh, is currently on Resident Alien, which uh, stars uh, Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk, I love that actor. Yeah, he's going to be in something that we might be talking about someday in the future. Currently, by the way, DC's Joker for most animation stuff. He has replaced Mark Hamill as their go-to guy for the Joker. Oh, he is amazing. Yes. The devil transports Sam to the suburbs. Right off the bat, the devil saying, what's the matter? You don't like banana splits? You some kind of coffee? <laughs> that was the funniest line. <laughs> right, right up there with with him accusing Sam of being a, homo, a, uh, a homophobe. <laughs> Yeah, the joke from last week, yeah. Yeah, he's like, he's like, what? Oh, wow, very good, Sam. Homosexual joke? What are you, a homophobe? <laughs> yeah. Sam doesn't want to be friends with the devil. He doesn't want the devil's friendship in any possible way. And I don't blame him. The devil is a complete and utter dickhole most of the time because he's Satan. He's the devil. But more and more, the devil is trying to become Sam's friend. And I wonder why we're not there yet. But we will find out very soon. And, of course, the Demon Rebellion want Sam to use it to his advantage because they want to take down the devil. Why would you want to go out for ice cream with the devil? By the way, the devil can't eat ice cream either, by the way. It's just kind of weird to put in there. The devil sticks his finger in the ice cream and it kind of disintegrates, which I thought was hilarious. I love the effect. You know, I love the effect. Cabby Price is called the Lawyer from Hell. Uh, yes, our villain for the evening, Cubby Bryce. Cubby Bryce, sorry, yes. Cubby Bryce is called the lawyer from hell. Shocking, there's a lot of lawyers in hell. <laughs> of course. <laughs> that is not unexpected. Cubby Bryce is an ambulance chaser and is okay with pushing the limits on the truth in order to get that big settlement. The apartment the guys are living in is the soul that they catch in the episode. Yes, that is Cubby Bryce's apartment. Previous which... apartment when he was alive. Previous apartment, which, according to Sock, was also a meth lab, too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Josie has a a couple moments with Ted there in this episode. Yeah, which is kind of funny because Sock gets extremely jealous of the whole thing. Yeah, it's like Josie drops off Andy at work, and Sock makes this gross statement about her wearing one of his gifts, which is like a scarf, and he says that it's like his scent all over her. Dog pee on a tree. It's like, it was just this very gross moment. And then so she takes off the scarf and gives it to Ted, and says, don't you look sexy. Andy initiates the date with Sam. At long last, the couple that we've wanted to get together since the first episode are getting together. <laughs> and it's no surprise that Sam wasn't the one to actually ask her out. No. Andy was the one to ask him out. Correct. Um, the near-death experience basically made her realize what she has been missing. 
after Caddy, you know, got into Sam, you know, got to Sam first, she's just like, no, no other woman but me. Because yeah. she suddenly realized what, what, what she was missing in her life because, you know, that's, that's very sitcom writing of like, oh no, the the woman or man I'm supposed to be with is now with somebody else. And I'm suddenly realizing how great they are. This happened like on Friends with Rachel when Ross started dating that woman, you know, from uh, that he met while he was in China. Yeah, it's definitely a TV trope. Yeah, yeah. And it's always a woman or man that is exactly like the woman or man you were supposed to be with. Not mm -hmm. the woman or man that is pretty much your polar opposite, but you are so much soulmates despite the fact you have nothing in common as much as the other person does with the person you want to be with. You notice that? It's happened, yeah. like, on Castle and Friends and Frasier and Cheers and probably Star Trek. and <laughs> It's the jealousy trope. Right. You know, someone goes after someone else and then you suddenly realize, oh, I really do like that person. Does that happen in real life? I'm sure it does, but at the extent that TV shows that it happens, no. I don't think so. Mm. The vessel is a whip. It's like an yes. Indiana Jones whip. Not like a dominatrix whip, but like an Indiana Jones whip. They're the same. Are they? I wouldn't want to be whipped with that. That's flesh ripping. I, I am a pro at single tail whips. Oh, are you now? Tell the audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I have been doing this whole dominatrix thing for a very, very long time. And, in fact, I learned how to use a single tail simply because I adored Indiana Jones and it didn't get connected with my whole sexuality thing until later. So I've been using a single tail whip since I was 16, 17, just because I thought it was cool. And so this single tail whip is definitely one that I would have put in my collection, but it does take a lot of time to learn how to wield it. So when Sam is trying to catch the soul and he's cracking it and accidentally hitting everyone, yeah, that's what happens when you use a single tail and you don't know whatever the fuck you're doing. Mm. You get hurt a lot, and you hurt a lot of people. It's a very precise instrument, and you have to be very, very cautious with how it's wielded. That crack is the breaking of the sound barrier, and that can actually tear apart flesh. Mm. So you have to be very precise with what you're doing, and you don't actually crack it on a person. You crack it just above a person. I have a whip just like that because I got it from my Indiana Jones cosplay, and I'm still trying to learn how to crack the sound barrier. Does your whip have a, the cracker at the end? It does. Ooh. Excellent. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, like a year ago or two years ago, yeah, during COVID, she brought out the whip from playing Catwoman in Batman Returns, and she uh, did like a like a TikTok or YouTube video showing everyone the whip, and she still knew how to use it, and she cracked the sound barrier with it. Excellent. Because she, oh, she excellent. practiced with the whip for weeks prior to playing Catwoman and while they were filming constantly with the trainer learning how to crack the whip for the scenes that she had to really crack that whip, you know, because yeah. she was in that costume playing Catwoman a hell of a lot more than any stunt person. The exception of obviously falling through plate glass window and stuff like that, like when she falls, you know, she really wanted to make sure she was the one zipped up in that costume. And mm -hmm. in order to do that, she also had to learn how to use that whip. So Indiana Jones doesn't use the whip as a weapon. He uses it for defense and to swing and stuff like that. 
that a lot of yeah. times. But in Castlevania, the video game series, you know, through from the 80s all the way up to 2013, uh, the main character, the Belmont character, would use the whip to, you know, whip his way through the level against monsters and demons. So that's a lot more closely associated with Reaper, the way Sam obviously has to use the whip against the uh, the soul to, to re-entrap him. Yes, yeah. The Bob Demon is a pretty well-known character actor, um, having been on Scrubs, Dude, Where's My Car, Cougar Town, that 70s show. Kind of a very long career playing that same kind of, like, very dopey dog kind of character. Serge Hood. Serge, yes. He plays the lawyer. He's been in a bunch of stuff that I've never seen before. Probably 50-50 and 50, 50 is the only thing I've seen of his. I never watched the Kennedys. I guess I recognize him from other stuff, but I'm not... Again, he's also a character actor been in like a hundred different things going all the way back into the mid to late 80s and he recently has been doing a lot more of those christmas movies oh my god mingle uh, all the way christmas on holly lane love in winterland yeah christmas she wrote featured in this episode let's stay together by blind switch which plays in the apartment when they open up those beers of the world here's a clip Sam and Andy also kiss finally, and it's hot as fuck! Woo! They knock stuff over! That's how passionate the kiss is. Woo, woo, woo! I'd love to know the behind the scenes of the first kiss between the two characters. Because, like, on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, David and Sarah ate onions and got their breath to smell as bad as it was, so that way, when they kiss, the breakaway is as strong as it needs to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, they just can't take it anymore because of how bad they each one of them tastes. But, you know, that was a big deal for that show. When you have two main characters... You know, that have been vying for each other for a while. And, and I think Andy and Sam have been, had more episodes leading up to their big kiss than uh, David and Sarah did on Buffy. Let's talk for a moment about the revolution. Like, a lot of this episode is about this rebellion of demons. And there's just so much going on with what is actually being accomplished here. Yeah, so t- it's uh, kind of lame. It's the worst part of the whole episode. So Tony and Steve invite Sam to the rebellion, you know, to meet the rest of the rebels. And Sam finds out that in order to combat the devil, they're doing good deeds instead. And Sam is like, well, how long is this going to take? And he says, well, 300, 400 years. And Sam, of course, doesn't have that much time. So he's interested in action. Tony is also interested in action. He wants to kill the devil. And Steve is like, well, we need to get it back into the good graces of God. So we need to do good, which therefore subverts the devil. And then he has no power. Because of Sam's deal, they end up catching someone for a human sacrifice (laughs) and then trying to substitute the guy's soul with Sam's soul in order to make the exchange and get him out of that contract. It was a little confusing. Yeah, I just think it was funny they actually thought Sam would be that interested in exchanging himself for a a random innocent human. Like, seriously? Do they, they have hung out with Sam. They do realize he is not about the devil's deal that his parents made. It's not bad character writing that, that they would think that this is something Sam would want to do at all. This just doesn't make any sense. They have had dinner with Sam. They live next to Sam. None of that made any sense to me. It's like a different writer had that written this episode and didn't pay attention to the previous episodes with these two. Yeah. It, it, it's just like 
I don't know if it was trying to reinstate that, yes, these are demons, and there is a struggle between good and evil within themselves. So they see this human sacrifice as good because maybe way back in the day, human sacrifice was a thing for good crops and all of that. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's totally, that's a, a completely logical explanation. It's kind of like watching a uh, hentai cartoon where the female demon character is getting raped, and it's basically like, no, that's just, you know, the way they pleasure themselves. It's totally okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we did a big like breakdown of a bunch of hentai scenes with a guest recently on the Radio Horror Show, and she explained to me, she was just like, no, no, she's a demon, it's totally fine. <laughs> and, then they, and then the group switches back to basically doing good deeds. Correct, which um, is a little bit too late, because you find out what's going on with the apartment, and Sock, once again, is the dumbest character on the show for just writing reasons, because what's on the lease? Satan. Satan. He, but no, who did he think it said? Satan. Satan. <laughs> this is after, by the way, him and Josie hooked back up. <laughs> Which I think is the best part of that episode. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. yeah, I installed her, uh, what did he say? I installed her DVR twice. Yeah, so Ted and Josie have a date. Ted gets invited to hook up the, the DVR, and That's Ted interprets that as hooking up any sort of appliance is classic gay porn terminology for getting it on. And he says that it's pretty, he's pretty sure that it transfers over into the hetero world. So he's expecting to go over there, hook up her DVR appliance, and then hook into her as well. Which Sock but, then hooks, it, hooks up her DVR twice. Twice. <laughs> And considering they had prior history together, yeah, that I guess it makes sense that, you know, he would be able to hook up her well, DVR twice. Well, they have this moment where Ted explains that the reason that Josie is interested in guys like them is that she likes to feel superior. Ah, uh, so, yeah. She does have that attitude through the entire show, I've noticed. You know, she dates down, as yeah. Ted says. And that offends Sock because, you know, he's like, Are you, do you think you're better than me? Like, well, she does have a career. You know, she does have yeah, good income and all of that. Yeah, she's a lawyer. Talk. You're the manager of a buy more or a stock boy at a buy more or a workbench, excuse me. Workbench, yeah. yeah. workbench. I, 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 listen, anyone listening, I mean, a job is a job and everything's important these days, especially after what's, what we've kind of lived through. But uh, there's a huge difference between being a stock boy and a cashier at a, at a, at like a Home Depot versus a lawyer. And just the idea that Josie takes her job seriously and has aspirations versus Sock, which does not have any aspirations. Sock really is kind of just floating through life from one pleasure to another and doesn't have any future goals, doesn't have any future plans. But they hook up and they end up being together from this point. Yeah, for the foreseeable future. And so Andy has somebody with Sam, and Sock has somebody with Josie, and uh, we'll get to Ben <laughs> the worst ways possible. You know, he's feeling left out because everyone has somebody. Yeah. The uh, And, of course, our demons have each other until the devil shows up and puts an end to that romance. Yeah. Sam gets the cell phone number from the devil. At the rebellion, they call the devil to summon him. He gets summoned. They have the sword of the archangel, uh, but they find out that it's fake. You didn't and really won't think I was going to leave the sword of the archangel just in a random place, did you? 
He's such a dick. <laughs> yes. He's such an asshole, seriously. <laughs> and then the devil brings down the entire building, crushing all the demons inside, killing everyone except Tony. Yep. He's the only one that survives that troop of rebellious demons. Indeed. And then the devil just thanks Sam for... You know, he was counting on him to betray him because he's the devil and he's like thinking five steps ahead of everyone because he's just understanding that people are going to be corrupted and do these things, even though they think it's for the best, it's going to work into his plan. Right. But the entire message of the rebellion was that there was a better way to regain your place in heaven. Mm. And that was what the entire thing was about. They just can't kill the devil. No. The idea of the rebellion was... Interesting leading up to it till we actually get to the rebellion, and then the demons are just pathetic. Honestly, I mean, it's a comedy show. I didn't suspect the demons to be complete badasses. I mean, the look of the demon in their forms is cool. It's CGI sometimes when they're moving a lot and flying, and then it's a prosthetic costume creature thing. It's mm -hmm. not a bad idea. It's just the whole demon rebellion in general just did not execute very well, I think. Um, it is confusing. Like, I, I did watch this episode three times just to make sure that I wow, knew that what much. was going on. Wow. Uh, yeah. Do you think this is actually uh, Ken Marino in the costume? Yes. It is? Okay. Because sometimes actors don't do that. I mean, yes, early in Jeff Goldblum's career, he's in the fly costume. But, you know, that was early in his career. Come to Thor Ragnarok, he would not put the blue body makeup on to play the Grandmaster. Because uh, the character in the comic books is completely blue. Ah. Yeah. So, so he would do a little blue thing on his face. That was it. You know what I mean? That's how he's. That's how actors have kind of changed. And sometimes... You know, it's it's maybe it's insurance, maybe it's like I don't want to put this entire body complete costume suit on. Ken Marino is obviously no Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> no, but I believe that was his voice okay. coming from the actor. Gotcha. Because I was looking costume. up online trying to figure out if there was somebody else in the costume, like you know Tony Demon or something like that. So featured in this episode are the songs "I See Spiders When I Close My Eyes" by the boy least likely to. Nasty Numbers by Robbers on High Street, and remake of The Cure song, Just Like Heaven, by the Watson Twins, which plays in the apartment when Sam and Andy are on that couch. Here's a clip. Anyway, that is the end of the notes for this episode of The Rebellion, and Mr. Zeneca is going to go into some details about her coverage of Brimstone as we take a break, and then we'll come back with the next episode with Coming to Grips with Big Revelations here on the Dead TV Podcast. I was a cop. When my wife was raped, I caught the guy who did it, and I killed him. Two months later, I died. To hell. 113 of the most vile creatures escaped. They think they'll beat the devil. Nobody beats me. So how am I supposed to send them back? The eyes, windows to the soul. Destroy the eyes and the damned get a one-way ticket back home to hell. But it's not hell you should be scared of. It's losing your second chance of life on earth. Time to give the devil its due. It's Brimstone, 
Season 1, Episode 5, originally aired November 20th, 1998. In Chinatown, Stone hunts for a damned soul of a Tang Dynasty poet who is killing young women for love. Hi, I'm Ezekiel Stone. When I decided that I wanted to trace down my wife, the second I made that decision, the devil shows up to piss in my cornflakes. After making me feel like crap, he leaves me with a clue to my next case. It was a takeout menu for the Peking Opera Restaurant, and oh, Chinese food did sound good. Oh, and their Mushu Gai Pan was delicious when I finally got around to eating it. Highly recommend. I heard a woman scream and some tea was spilled on me. Of course, you know, it didn't bother me, the heat and all. On the fire escape staircase, a young woman lay with a piece of rice paper parchment over her eyes. The signature on the paper matched my tattoo. Normally, I wouldn't take evidence from a case, but considering this was more my case than Detective Ash's case, I pocketed the clue. I overheard the detective talk about the bodies also missing blood, like a lot of blood. Six quarts. One thing I was left with, if he was using the blood to write his poetry, why did he take so much of it? All the victims were immigrants, fresh off the boat, as they say and all were virgins, a rarity in these days. The first step in any investigation is to get the basic information, the basic details, see where it leads. The woman's name was Wheelia Bing. I went to her family, but as they spoke no English and I spoke no Chinese, I talked to a neighbor who led me in the direction of the community center, a place that she spent a lot of time learning English. Miss Chow, the English teacher, I knew she was important to the case, I just couldn't figure out how at the time. She was able to translate the rice paper text. It was a poem in the Tang Dynasty style about a virginal princess who rebuked a poet's affections and he killed her, vowing to write an epic poem in her honor. Miss Nina Chow figured out that the most likely suspect was his student, Da Ming Po, who had a very dangerous crush on her. I found his apartment and his scrapbook of victims. Why do they always do that? They always take their tokens. But the landlady, this tiny Chinese woman, told me to get my white ass out of there. And so I did. Then the soul pulled a trick that caught me off guard. Da Ming Po walked into the police station, confessed his crimes, and then stabbed himself, giving him a one-way trip to the morgue. I caught him as he was smoothly trying to leave. We scuffled. I got stabbed in the arm, another hole in my jacket, and he got away. The devil reminded me that while he could help me, he doesn't want to. He also gave me an odd bit of advice. That love is what causes us to do bad things. I thought of the Chinese devil statue, a good guy that looks like a devil. He was a warrior protecting his people, but he looks like a devil. It was funny at the time, but the realization hit me. Miss Nina Chow was the one that Da Ming Po loved, and she was in danger. I had to find her before he completed his poem with her murder. It was close. Miss Chow was tied down and about to have her blood taken away from her. But I grabbed some paintbrushes and stabbed him in his eyes. Miss Chow saw everything. The soul leaving the earthly plane, the tattoo leaving my body, and she didn't freak out. 
She told me a story about 108 vicious warriors that were convinced to be heroes. Except, you know, they all died. I don't know what to take from that, but I like to think I made a difference. In the role of Da Ming Po is Roger Huan, an actor of truly international productions, from Hollywood to Bollywood. Not kidding about that. He's a martial artist, actor, and stuntman, doing stunts in both Spawn and Blade. Most recently, he's played Lieutenant Lanville in Dune and was a fight coordinator for that film as well. The teacher Miss Nina Chow was played by Rosalind Chow. If you're a Star Trek fan, you'd recognize her as Kiko O'Brien, Chief Miles O'Brien's wife on Star Trek The Next Generation. She also starred in The Joy Luck Club, which won critical acclaim. Currently, you can see her in the role of Caroline on the show Better Things. In a surprise appearance this episode, actor Will Yoon Lee plays the neighbor Roger that speaks to Detective Stone. We know him well from another show we've done, Witchblade. He played Detective Danny Wu, one of our main characters. The deceased one, kinda. In recent years, you can watch him on The Good Doctor in the role of Dr. Alex Park, as the Marvelous Man on Guardians of Justice, and Joseph on Blade Runner Black Lotus. Our villain, Da Ming Po, was a poet from the Tang Dynasty. Skill in the composition of poetry was required knowledge to pass imperial exams, so there were probably a great many poets in the era. The Tang Dynasty was an imperial dynasty of China from 618 AD to 907 AD. Census taken at the time estimated a population of 50 million, and just like the episode states, Tang Dynasty poetry is known as the greatest age of Chinese poetry. Under Emperor Xuanzong, otherwise called Ming Huang, the brilliant monarch, art and literature were raised in standards, ushering in artistic development for a century and a half afterwards. This is definitely a one-shot episode. Nothing about this episode relates to really anything else, and you could have slotted this episode anywhere within the Brimstone timeline. I wanted to like this episode far more than I did. The entire episode had these moments where there's this flash of this fabric that whips across the screen. You don't really know what it's about. It seems to be just an artistic touch. And then at the very end of the episode, I guess he uses those ribbons to capture Detective Stone around the neck. It just didn't really make a lot of sense. Him stealing the blood and then using the blood to, as ink for his rice paper. You wouldn't need that much blood. Six quarts is a lot. It was just an okay episode. Good night. And we're back with Coming to Grips on the Dead TV podcast. Coming to Grips, Reaper Season 1, Episode 15, originally aired April 29th, 2008. Andy discovers who Sam's other boss is. Yes, long last don't, don't, Andy don't. knows the truth, but it takes a little while to get to, to the end of the episode, and it has ramifications for the rest of the show's run, too. This is like the big, like, oh, you're Spider-Man, you're Batman, you know, it's it's one of those. More closely related to the Ghost Rider, I guess, because the Ghost Rider is also the Devil's Bounty Hunter, and, you know, if you watch the Nicolas Cage movies. Otherwise, in the comics, he never really was. But the Nicolas Cage movies came out around the same time as Reaper was launching. So it was very much in to be the Devil's Bounty Hunter, because there was another program out there where somebody had to become the Devil's Bounty Hunter, not Brimstone. But I mean, like, in the 2007 era, Supernatural also had kind of a plotline like that. Hmm. Not the devil, but, like, bounty hunting and, and being, like, trapped in hell and escaping from hell and capturing 
you know, demons and torture and stuff like that. That happened to, to Dean Winchester. Ah, at the beginning okay. of season four, when Castiel rose him from perdition. All so right. it seemed like 2007 to 2010 was a big hot time to write plot lines involving you working for Lucifer El Diablo. <laughs> so the beginning of the episode, he, Sam is cooking, and there's a ton of freaking food, by the way, for a meal just for the two of them. But he's really trying to impress Andy. He goes into the CD player, and Sock's CD for humping is in there. <laughs> yeah. Sock's CD for humping playing when he turns off that radio is the song Hey Joe. Here's a clip. Yes, very famous song. Probably one of the most 500 played songs on the radio of modern day music. Don't you agree? You do hear it a lot. Yes, totally. Tony attacks Sam. So this picks up immediately where the episode left off. So Tony escapes and then the credits roll. And then Sam's back in the apartment preparing for his date with Andy. It's probably the same night, don't you think? I think so. Okay. So Tony attacks him, and he looks like he's about to kill him, and he's all blacked out and demonic and cool costume and, you know, really good special effects, and then he starts crying. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he just lost all of his friends. He lost his partner. Yeah. He's a demon. He'll get over it. Well, they haven't gotten over being expelled from heaven, so old wounds last a long time for the immortal. Did I miss something? Did they explain why they look like the way they do, and they're supposed to have been fallen angels, because they don't look like fallen angels, they look like demons. They haven't explained it, but I would just assume that it happened in the transformation. You know, if you get expelled from heaven, therefore you go through this transformation and fall. Yes. Sam finds out that they're... So the devil gives Sam the new mission, and it involves basically what Sam thinks is a rapist. (laughs) Oh my god. The devil's the one who goes, really? You go dark? Like the freaking devil calls out Sam for going that dark with the with the with the soul being a rapist. Murder is one thing because it's played up to be very much like comedy, but rape, yeah, always dark no matter where it is. <laughs> I fucking love the devil calling Sam out. <laughs> Our villain for this episode is, shit. <laughs> is basically an IVF and sperm bank operator oh. who uses his own sperm to impregnate hundreds of women. Is that rape? It's not technically rape, but it's like medical malpractice. Uh, doctors have done this and have been put in jail for it. It's disgusting. Regardless, no matter it how is absolutely you, disgusting. Yeah, I mean, just uh, wasn't there a Vince Vaughn movie based on a true story of a guy who accidentally had this happen to him? Like he donated sperm. He only intended to be like, here's my deposit. That's the end of the story. He comes to find out there are a hundred children created from his sperm. I believe so. And it's a true story that was turned into like a kind of comedy Vince Vaughn movie. Yes, I remember that. And there's laws now that state how many times a sperm donor can actually have an offspring. And that's simply because in the wild, when these people meet up, then you have these genetic opportunities for overlap that shouldn't be there because they actually do come from separate families. So having hundreds of kids all fathered by the same person in a general small location, it's going to have genetic problems when those children end up getting together and producing their own offspring. 
the villain is actually played by Ian Gomez. And yeah. Ian Gomez was on the Drew Carey show as Larry Almada. Yes, that's right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's where I recognized him. God, I love the Drew. Did you ever watch the Drew Carey show? I did, yeah. It was a lot of fun. And you can see why Drew Carey would have gotten the, the job as Price is Right host. Ian Gomez has also appeared on Norm as Danny Sanchez, uh, The Morning Show as Greg, and Supergirl as Snapper Carr. He was on Supergirl? Supergirl, yeah. When was he on Supergirl? Does it say what year he was on Supergirl? 2016 to 2017 in eight episodes. He was Snapper Carr? The Justice League Boy Scout? I don't remember that. Wow. Interesting. I don't remember. Yeah, I watched Supergirl up until the last two seasons. There are references to Highlander on this show! And we had the Highlander on our show! This is Adrian Paul, and you're listening to the Dead TV Podcast. <laughs> Duncan McCloud didn't have a scythe. He goes, I don't care. This sucks twirling it around, trying to have a cheesy freaking Highlander accent, Scottish accent. Ah, I love that scene, because I was like, completely forgot that it was in there. And I was like, ah, we had the Highlander on the show! <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, that was good. That was a nice little reference. The scythe as a weapon is pretty freaking awesome. Considering it's the devil and death is in, like, every episode, it's kind of funny that we're just now getting to having a scythe. But the fact that it retracts, very CGI, but it's still a nice effect. Oh, I love the fact that it retracts. It retracts into a handheld device, you know, like a full-blown scythe. Yeah. Oh, my God. Now, I would and- love to have that. Gladys does make an appearance in this episode because she, um, uh, the devil gives him back the rod saying, you're missing part of the soul. But that was funny that she doesn't detect that because in a previous episode, she does say, you're missing, I can't accept this. You're missing the soul. Remember that? Yeah. 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 She, she, she had like this, this isn't full. Yeah. This right. is incomplete. Continuity error. Just pointing that out. Little continuity error. And I didn't see that on IMDb either, by the way. Yeah, Sam's trying to contact the devil, and the only way that he knows how is to wrap a note around the vessel. How about just give it back goof off and not do your job as the devil's bounty hunter? The devil will show up be like, what are you doing, Sam? You no, that's that true. He a plot. Yeah, I mean, if Sam doesn't do his job, guess what happens? The devil shows up. <laughs> <laughs> and he decides to become Nancy Drew and follow Sam, and guess what? She sees a decapitation, and she gives Sam an ultimatum 24 hours to come up with a better story. Otherwise, she's going to turn him in. Dun, dun, dun. Now, I'm going to point out the worst writing on the show is for this episode with Andy's complete and utter, I'm going to turn in the man that I'm clearly in love with and I've had the hots for and come to realization that I need to be with him. All of a sudden, on a dime, she's going to turn him in without, like, trying to believe his explanation. Well, I mean, it's, it's hard to actually see someone's head come off their body done by your hoping to be boyfriend and then just turn a blind eye to that. It's just, it's such a hard turn for her. You got to admit that. It's such a hard, like, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. so bad. What else is worse in this episode? Ben's wife. The worst plot line of all of Reaper. I forgot about this. Is yeah. Lucy Davis as Sarah is the most cringing, awful... This has been done to people in real life, unfortunately. But also, yeah. this is just a terrible character, too. But I do like the actress. Lucy Davis. So she plays Etta in Wonder Woman, and she was also in Shaun of the Dead as Diane. Yep. And yep. currently, she's in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina as Milda Spellman. Actually, Sabrina ended, like, two years ago. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, but she's, so got, she's still acting. She's yeah, she's still acting. But yes, she's Hilda, uh, one of the aunties of uh, Serena. But yeah, she plays Sarah for at least three episodes. Hate this character. The actress is fine. I hate this character, and maybe that's the testament of her great acting that you're supposed to absolutely hate her. Because yeah. Jesus Christ, I I really wish she would die. <laughs> so Sarah marries Ben and paid him $1,600 in order to get a green card marriage. I have heard of people doing this, and I know it happens, but Ben was really super tricked into this. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of, like, why? Is this because we don't have anything to do with Ben? Do you think that's what it is? We just don't have a plot line for him? I don't know. Like, Sock is the funny guy. He's the stoner. He's the best friend. Ben is the other best friend. And, like, let's face it, this cast is pretty white, with the exception of Josie, but she is not a main character. And we need stuff to do with our one minority main character. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, in this episode, Ben meets someone that could be a proper girlfriend to him. Played by Candice McClure. Yes! Love this actress! <laughs> oh, she is amazing. And you can actually see her on Snowpiercer as the tail boss. Oh! I have not watched Snowpiercer yet, the TV show. I, I absolutely love the movie, but I know her from, like, Battlestar Galactica. She was Anastasia Duall. She was one of the main characters on that show. Yes, yes. She's a fantastic, She's a fantastic. character. Yes, love the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. V-Wars she was in as well, which I was happy that she popped up in that. And she was, by the way, Sue Snell in the Carrie uh, made-for-TV remake. Ben really is attracted to this character Cassidy. She is amazing. She knows mixed martial arts. And Ben's little checklist that he keeps of, you know, the characteristics for a woman that he wants, she checks off those boxes. Yeah, but Ben's new wife basically vetoes the idea that he could hook up with her, which is not proper for a green card marriage. You know, they're supposed to be living kind of their own lives, but with this guise that they're married. So he should technically be able to date her if, if Cassidy wants to be dated by a married technically man. I really don't like this Sarah character. No, I, I don't. And I don't. I, and thank God. I, I think she, we only have three episodes of the season left after we're done recording this episode. So she's only in this season. That's it. I hated it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I was just like, why are we doing this to Ben? <laughs> Andy, the whole Andy going to go to the police and she gets kidnapped and she learns the truth and she really learns the truth. And the I love you's, you know, is very all typical sitcom-ish stuff. And it, it resolves itself. And uh, yeah, she gets kidnapped by Sock and Ben and yeah, thrown is, in the trunk. That, that's, that's a little ridiculous, yes. <laughs> to stop her from going to the police. They have good intentions for their kidnapping. I 100% I, I agree with this. <laughs> because, let's face it, let's face it. They're 100% true. They're telling the truth. He does work for the devil. And they just have to prove it to her. So the kidnapping would be completely justified so she doesn't go to the police because she could ruin everything. Unless the devil wants to step in, stop time, and change everything, which he does have the power to do. But he would rather leave it up to Sam because also, what does he ask of Sam? He asks for a favor and they make a deal over it. Like a stupid idiot, Sam does it. Yes, which I don't remember when that's about to come into play, but it's probably a season-ending thing. A lot of big stuff is about to happen on the show, and it carries over into season two, 
and then it gets really messy, but not in a bad way, but just kind of like a messy for Sam's life way, not a messy for like, what the hell's going on? I don't understand the context of what I'm watching. Why it, it's about to get messy. And he, and he agrees to the favor without even thinking about it. Yeah. I, I mean, he but just he... really loves Andy. So, you know, there's a, there's a great line from a superhero documentary about superheroes and their, that's basically what Sam is, superheroes and their women, Duty before booty. But Sam puts booty before duty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> by the way, this applies to women, too. So Wonder Woman, she puts her duty before Steve Trevor. You know. <laughs> they catch up to the soul at the maternity ward because he has a new batch of babies popping out. Because no matter how many times they cut him with that scythe, he grows back like a starfish, just kind of repopulates himself. Yeah, that's kind of funny that how he does that because he chops off his hand because he knows Sam's gonna catch him, and then the guys uh, go on like a bumbling quest to try and get the uh, the hand. As uh, you know, Andy decides to forgive Sam immediately after being like, "I'm afraid of you," but no, you do love me, and I do love you, and I gotta get over this because hey, the episode's gonna wrap up. We gotta finish this plot line. <laughs> yeah, so we get a, a few good thing moments where the hand is kind of walking around on its own. And then the fully formed Jack King falls from the ceiling onto Sock's back. And Sock is so unnerved that the guy is naked that he freaks out. I wonder if the actor is really naked or is he wearing like a Speedo or something. I don't know. That that looked like a pretty bare butt to me. There is there a lot of money in the I'm the butt and back shots of the actress who doesn't want to show her butt, butt and back. <laughs> Because there seems to be, like, a thing for it based on what Joey did on Friends. <laughs> there is an industry for it. There, there's got to be. Because how many times on this show have we seen somebody partially naked or a woman getting undressed or something, you know? Yeah, it's it's the stunt body. Right. And from the distance, when the guys are, like, spying on somebody, and you see somebody gets partially undressed or it's a silhouette or something like that. In any of the shows we've covered, not just Reaper, um, you always have to wonder, you know, is that the actress or is that, like, the model? I'd have no problem showing my body. <laughs> I'm just saying. I had no problem showing my body back when my body was pre-baby. I will oh, tell you that. Oh, your body's perfectly fine. I'm uh, sure you're going to have your you're hosting your event coming up uh, the week that we're recording this, and there'll be a lot of people who want your body. I'm sure. I'm sure. I have over 200 people on the RSVP list. Yeah, and um, you I'm have, in uh, you're in my movie. Pieces of your body showing in a way that I'm sure people will be like, all right. <laughs> And that was my body. That was your body. It looks fantastic in that corset. And we are currently editing right now, too. Okay. Yeah. Featured in this episode are the songs Luisa's by Sabelle, The Way I Want to Be by The Village Green, In the Adult Store is playing Onions Only by The Civil Tones, Everything is Going to Hell by Ken Corade, and Playing in the Bar at the end of the episode, Everyone Wants to Know by Imperial Teen. Here's a clip. That's all the notes I have for this episode of the Dead TV Podcast. 
And don't forget, you can find us on our Facebook page, the Dead TV Podcast, and send us an email, thatradiopar at gmail.com. You can also leave us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you have to find this podcast. There are like a dozen websites this podcast is on, including iHeartRadio and Audible, by the way. We are on Audible, too. On the Audible app, you can listen to podcasts, too. We'll be back in a couple weeks with another exciting episode. Good night.